1: One o'clock hour on Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92 7 WFNZ. We're gearing up for the Panthers Seahawks matchup this weekend. Wes, I'm looking at Geno Smith's numbers. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy what this guy is doing. We were just talking about West Virginia quarterbacks because JT Daniels, yes, has decided to enter the transfer portal again. Mr. Transfer Portal himself. This next team will be the fourth college football team he will have suited up for. USC to Georgia. Georgia to West Virginia, and now he'll go play somewhere else. So certainly no Geno Smith tenure at West Virginia for JT Daniels. I think he just
2: likes touring schools at this point.
1: Would you be able to transfer four different times, three no, different that's, times?
2: that's just too much. Getting to know new teammates. and I mean, if I was his dad, I'd just be like, son, well, I'm tired of coming to all these places.
1: My question is, because, Fitty, you're the one that told us that. Did you see the whole notepad screenshot thing from him? You can't do it if it's your third time. Transfer. No, not at all.
2: We don't want to hear it anymore. After this.
3: <laughs> no, I did not. I just saw it on uh, on Facebook. The Sports Illustrated had had the picture of him in his West Virginia gear, saying that the five star quarterback does intend to transfer. And 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 I just wonder, like at at what point. Do do parents intervene? Because why you kind of brought this up. Yeah, like it, during the break. At what point do do parents make their kids follow through with their commitments, and say, "Look, this is going to be your fourth team in five six years of playing college football. Like this is ridiculous. I mean, I, I know West Virginia had a bad year, and Neil Brown is probably going to get fired, probably during the season next year." But, like, at some point, stick out to what you committed to and be part of the reason why maybe Neil Brown doesn't get fired and West Virginia actually wins some meaningful football games.
2: It's nothing you could do, really. I mean, when it's your kid, once they hit that college age, they're kind of on their own. I know when I transferred, my mom was not happy that I was leaving Florida. Uh, She did not like it, especially the fact that I was going to Wake Forest. She told me that a few times. She did not like, oh, why? Because she felt like, you know, my mom, she really turned into a football mom. Like, my mom liked football when I was a kid, but it was more just NFL. But then once I started playing high school and watching a lot more college football, she got more into that. So she loved the atmosphere of Florida with the fans and how intense it was and things like that. Going to work for us is night and day. Especially when you're talking about fan bases and stuff like that. So she missed that she wanted that type of environment. So she was not thrilled that I was going to wake for.
1: Did she want you to transfer to a different school or just really stick it out at Florida?
2: Um I won't say really stick it out at Florida, but she just she wasn't thrilled. It took a lot of coaxing from the coaches to get her to feel okay about
1: it. Yeah. But, How yeah. important was it for you to have mom sign off on your decision before you actually committed to go to a different transfer it, school? It didn't matter. Yeah. You were you need to go awake. To Yeah, I wanted to go where I wanted to go. So, you
2: know, that's why I said once your kid gets to that college age, there's not much you can do. They're going to do what they want to do. And if you rebut, they're going to, you know, kids are going to be – you know, Dad, I'm not a kid anymore. Right. Well, I mean, well, how old is JT Daniels now? Right. Like he's be, a
1: grown man. I mean, he yeah, is. So I, I don't know about the parents, and that's why Cowherd writes in. I don't know if this is the Colin Cowherd, but a Cowherd writes mm-hmm. in. Tell me you don't have a kid without telling me you don't have kids. Saying that JT Daniels, when do the parents come in and actually make JT stick? <laughs> With a college program. Are I you gonna, could
2: see Fitty doing that all
1: day. No, Fitty's going to be the overbearing parent when his child is like 30, just chastising him for every decision he makes in life.
2: you damn
3: right. And uh, I have experienced parenting. I have two <laughs> kids of my own.
1: Oh, yeah. What are their names? Lesson Walker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting you to go
2: dogs there, but instead you went us instead. Yeah, I'm looking at here. I see Linjay J. Dixon transferring again. To Clemson to West Virginia. West Virginia now to Tennessee. Oh,
3: man. That's true, too.
2: Linjay, He's going to Tennessee?
3: Yeah, that's what I just... Oh, that's going to be fun next year. Yeah, I just saw that.
1: We'll try to keep you updated on that everybody transferring because... There's so they're, many. They're I mean, good Lord, you can't even
2: begin to to keep up with this.
1: Well, let's have the Transfer Portal conversation a little bit later in the show. We'll do that at 220. We'll also talk a little bit bit about that with Andrea Adelson at 145, Mm -hmm. ACC writer for ESPN. I did want to continue to talk about Geno Smith, though. If you look at his numbers, compared to every other quarterback in the NFL, he's having at least a top 10 season, and you could argue top 5 if you wanted to. And you would have a lot of evidence in your pocket to say, yep, Geno Smith right now playing like a top five quarterback. So if you look at total yards passed for this season, Geno Smith is sixth overall, right behind Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes is number one. If you look at touchdown passes this season, he's tied for fourth with Aaron Rodgers. He only has six interceptions. That's less than a Josh Allen, a Joe Burrow, and yes, even Pat Mahomes. Here's the thing for me I look at first and foremost. QBR, by the way, I did want to mention that real quickly. He's top five. Completion percentage for Geno Smith. He is number one in the NFL in completion percentage at 72.7%. If you look at the throws he's making, it is not these dink and dunks down the field, five yards past the line of scrimmage passes. He's throwing down the field a lot. Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf, they're eating right now with Geno Smith as their quarterback. You compare that to the Carolina Panthers here, Wes, and you just scratch your head, man, why couldn't that have been us? Why could we not have had the reclamation quarterback project actually work out? Because it's exactly what Matt Rule wanted to do. He wanted to skip the whole rebuild process, take that shortcut, and have a QB work out. The thing is, Geno Smith always had crazy amounts of talent. Mm-hmm. He just would turn it over all the time. Well, being 30 now in the league, he just was is a very, very uh, late bloomer in the NFL. I mean, bloomed extremely late, but he's having a fantastic season. And it's funny, the guy that saw the most in him is someone Geno Smith shouted out earlier this year. And that's Ben McAdoo. He says, this win was for Ben McAdoo, who had faith in me, to be a starting quarterback. Remember that whole mess in New York, when Ben McAdoo wanted to go to Geno Smith, Giants faithful destroyed McAdoo's decision, because how dare you bench the aging Eli Manning. So he went back to Eli, and of course, the offense stunk once again. Man, the way Geno is performing right now, it's extremely impressive. And it's exactly what Carolina could not hit on during Matt Rule's tenure.
2: Yeah, you know, and it could not. And you also look at, too, you talk about the way he's throwing the ball down the field. He's tied with Patrick Mahomes for average yards, uh, you know, per completion. And so he's just playing great football. And it's very rare to see uh, something like this. When you see a guy that's been pretty much labeled a bust, written mm-hmm. off, And they may come back and have some flashes here or there, a good game here or there. But for a guy to just completely come back and be playing, dare I say, MVP caliber football at the position, I think it speaks a lot to his talent, his maturity, um, and his perseverance. Because everything that he went through from his draft process up until now, you know, the guy could have been discouraged and just decided to do just enough to hang on in the league until, you know, he couldn't get a check anymore. And so he did not do that. And he really dedicated himself, got the right opportunity at the right time because we know how big that is in the NFL. And it's it's just been amazing. It's one of the more amazing stories that I could think of, uh, you know, since I've been watching football for a guy to bounce back like he has. I mean, uh, he's so much fun. That's the thing. He's throwing downfield.
1: He's completing all these passes. He's leading a winning football team off the heels, by the way, of a Super Bowl winning quarterback that left, not in the most gracious of terms, but Russell Wilson is one of the best athletes in Seattle sports history. I mean, the way that he was able to accomplish a Super Bowl win, that matters. And yes, that was also because of a great defense. But Russell Wilson was a very good quarterback, as weird as he might be in the locker room. Very good. And now here's Geno Smith, who is better, who is better than Russell Wilson by leaps and bounds this year. It's It's insane the type of leap he took.
2: Yeah, you look at it since 2015, he's had nine touchdown passes up until this year. So I mean, this is a guy that, like he said, people tried to write me off, but I didn't write back. And so I think for him, it's got to be tremendous. And I think he needs to be a a, a a beacon of hope for a lot of quarterbacks that go through his situation, like we talked about, maybe with the Sam Donald, do, even well, you dare I say a Baker Mayfield, guys that look at a guy who's been written off, cast aside. Go ahead. Well, uh, no, you tell me, right? Can he? Do you think there is a shot?
1: For a Sam Darnold, because you talk about how rare it is. It is. Mm -hmm. It's it's what makes this story so impressive, so amazing. This does not happen. He can be a beacon of hope. I don't know if I see it with Sam Darnold. I'd see it more with Sam than I do Baker. I think you have more of the tools with Sam Darnold to put it together than you do with Baker Mayfield. Because Geno was always a guy that was willing to throw the ball downfield, that had an impressive arm, that threw. He was more impressive to me in college, Gino was, than Baker right? Like, mm-hmm. Baker was real accurate, but man, people forget, like, Geno, what was it, was Steadman Bailey on that team, running with Tavon Austin, yeah. he had a couple of weapons on the outside, but he was throwing the ball down the field, constantly so much fun, and now we're reminded of what Geno Smith was doing in college this year. Can we ever get to that with Sam Darnold? I don't think so. That, it's a yet?
2: lot. That's a tall uh, order no, to ask for. <laughs> that's a That's a tall order to ask for for any player, just to come back after so many uh, tough seasons to bounce back and be an MVP caliber candidate. So many things have to go right. I mean, hell, Seattle traded for Drew Locke, so they didn't even suspect that Geno Smith was capable of this type of uh, you know output. So mm-hmm. I would say the odds definitely point towards no for Sam Donald having that type of career renaissance. Like, Geno well, that's Smith. also a great point. It, it it really wasn't supposed to be Geno Smith's right. job. It was supposed to be Drew Lock. He's been the biggest surprise in the NFL to me by far. Well, and it's the
1: consistency. You're right about that. It's not just this lone game from P.J. Walker against Tampa Bay and then pretty much comes down to earth after that. Geno Smith, just last week against the Rams, led a game-winning drive where he throws a touchdown pass to D.K. Metcalf, who, yes, is an excellent receiver. Tyler Lockett, also a very good receiver, but it also goes to show you sometimes situations, they'll help a quarterback with all that talent. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like I don't think there's any excuse for Baker Mayfield to not have worked out here in Carolina. Same thing, I guess, with Geno at this point. But because you gave him all of the skill positions and everything is better, he's able to thrive. Sometimes it's these situations that allow you to flourish. Speaking of the receiver position, when we compare Carolina to Seattle, they have a fantastic duo. Tyler Lockett, I believe, has scored a touchdown in five straight games. We just saw DK Metcalf. He was awesome a couple of years ago. Seattle's offense was so bad. Numbers were held in check. This year, he's starting to flourish again. How would you rank those top three receivers? Because they're going to be the three best pass catchers in this game on Sunday. How would you rank those three wide receivers? Ooh, um, DJ Moore included, by the way, with Carolina.
2: No doubt. So we pick them by who do we think is the the best. Well
1: just give me one, two, three. Yep, who do you think is is the best? I I mean I can go right now. I've kind of got it down the list. I go DK Metcalf. I was gonna say I go DK DJ Lockett. That's exactly what I would roll with. Yeah. I think DK Metcalf, you just can't really mess with the physical attributes he brings. And people were scared because the agility in the combine. I never saw a more polarizing combine from a player. When he was in the combine, his 40 was ridiculous. We all saw the Greek God chiseled body that everybody was talking about. But then the agility tests were actually really bad for a wide receiver. And then the Seattle Seahawks draft him way later. It looked like he was going to be a first round pick after the 40 time. And then they just draft him. I think he was a second round pick maybe in the 40s, 50s, something like that. And he's been awesome ever since. Fantastic deep threat and also is very good in the intermediate. Tyler Lockett, also a really good deep threat too. But to me, it's DK Metcalf, then it's DJ Moore, then it's Tyler Lockett if we wanted to compare some of those positions. Now, what about running back for you? Unfortunate for Seattle, Kenneth Walker... I don't. I don't know if he's been officially listed as out. He does have an ankle strain, so I don't think he's going to go in this game. But when you talk about some of the other skill positions, is there anything else you compare Carolina and Seattle to, as far as? So
2: which one would I take between Walker and Deontay Foreman, Kenneth Walker, all day long? You like he Kenneth is Walker? Be a stud. Yeah, he looks and good. I'm not saying that just because he is an ex-deacon, but uh, yeah, he looks to be a stud. He's a guy that has come out of college and been exactly as mm-hmm. advertised. It took him a little while to get going, but, you know, he's he's showing a lot of potential. He's, he's got nicked up a little bit the last few games, maybe not quite, you know, that, that stride he hit from that Arizona game all the way to the, uh well, between the Arizona games, actually. But I just love his potential, what he brings mm-hmm. to the table. He's got the speed. He's got the size, the ability, everything you want.
1: Yeah, just, just to give you some clarity on the Kenneth Walker situation, he does have a chance to return this week from the ankle injury. It knocked him out of that win against the Rams. So, quote, this is Pete Carroll speaking on Seattle Sports 710 AM. He's got a strain in a particular part of his foot that we've just got to help him through and see if we can get it to quiet down and all that. It's an unusual injury. I never heard of this. It's a little space that's just aggravated in the inside of his ankle that we've got to just help him just do everything we can to get him back, see if he can come back and play. So that would be a big loss for them because he's a really talented individual. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the Charlotte Hornets and their unfortunate loss last night because of Kawhi Leonard hitting a game-winning jumper I think the Hornets lost on the possession before that. We'll get to that in just a moment. Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7, WFNZ.
4: Well, he had three options, really, and they did a good job. You know, I mean, it's 1.4 seconds. It's not an easy one, you know, so that's one play. I mean, I'm talking about a play to win the game. And the rebounding is why we lost the game.
1: It all came down to a sidelines out of bounds play under Steve Clifford. What could go wrong? Not like there was any problems with that the first stint here with the Charlotte Hornets. Wes and Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ, head coach of the Charlotte Hornets, Steve Clifford, discussing the very last offensive possession where there was a little over one second left to play. They try to draw up something for the Hornets to be able to tie it or win it. P.J. Washington has a bad turnaround shot. It was the only thing they could do, nearing a five-second call, and eventually the Hornets would drop this contest to the L.A. Clippers, 119 to 117. Oh,
4: my life!
1: If you go to the (laughs) last play of this one, not the offensive possession for Charlotte, even Kawhi Leonard hitting the shot to win it for the Clippers, Jalen McDaniels can't ask for much more from him on on that possession. It was ISO, Kawhi wins, right? That's just how it is. But the offensive rebound the Clippers were able to corral their previous offensive possession is the reason that L.A. won. Mm -hmm. Kawhi Leonard crashes. Kelly Oubre misses a blockout assignment. Jalen McDaniels isn't strong enough to grab the rebound away from Paul George, who taps it to Kawhi in between four other Charlotte Hornets. And then when he receives the basketball right under the basket, yep, very easy to just put it in and tie that ball game up at 117 apiece. And it's why Steve Clifford discussed and said this about their team's inability to rebound.
4: Leak outs. Leaking out. Trying to get a layup at the other end of the floor. Instead of staying in and helping us get the ball 100%. It's, a, it's one of the biggest problems.
1: 100%. You could see P.J. Washington doing that at the end of that play. So, P.J., I give him credit, and I also criticize him a little bit on this one because he's the only one contesting any three-point shots out there on this last possession. Mm-hmm. So, he closes out on Paul George on one side of the court. The ball swings around. Looks like Marcus Morris gets gets lost in the shuffle. Mason Plumlee, they go down to the paint. Jalen McDaniels does. Kelly Oubre is towards the top of the key. And so, there's a swing pass to Marcus Morris, who has a wide-open three-point shot. P.J. Washington has to run from the other side of the court to just contest and put a hand up in the face of one Marcus Morris. But once he does that, he then goes all the way to half court. Once the shot is up in the air, that's the leak out problem. Steve Clifford is talking about. So then when Jalen McDaniels goes for the rebound and Paul George taps it down low, no other Hornet is there to collect the basketball. And that's the problem. (laughs) Mason Plumlee just kind of sits there and watches the basketball. Doesn't know who to block out because they went small Steve Clifford decided to go big, which don't know if I would have done that in that situation, probably would have gone smaller and kept Mason Plumley off the floor, but it didn't happen. What what did you see with some of this stuff, some of the problems at the end of the game as to why the Hornets lost?
2: Well, for one, let me compliment your Rain Man-like memory of some of these plays. That's some good film review. I mean, this man went through and told you everything that everybody did it's on the It's second take Tuesday. It's just with the Hornets today. <laughs> so, yeah, um, like Coach said, and I think it speaks to a mentality, and I think that was some of the things that plagued them last year, wanting to be a young, fun team. But at some point, you have to transfer from being young and fun to young and ferocious, okay? Because you look at the teams at the top of the league, the Milwaukee's and and the Phoenixes, and some of those teams that do the little things, and they have a tough guy mentality. They're going to do the dirty work, and that's the point that this team needs to get to. Like you said, Kelly Oubre not paying attention to Kawhi yeah. Leonard, understanding where he is on the court box, him out Jalen McDaniels giving a little bit more of a harder box out so that he can't tap that thing in so easily and guys just being aware and then PJ Washington like you said what was he trying to accomplish by running to mid court after he contested the three did he think I mean I guess maybe he thought that they could steal a rebound get it out to him but still, like, you got to keep going until the play is done. Part of it is just P.J. not thinking, and he's letting
1: momentum take him kind of to the half-court line because he is having to run all the way across court to try to contest the Marcus Morris three-pointer. Yes. But everybody should be crashing because that is a critical rebound. You're up to... The seconds are dwindling down the (laughs) clock. (laughs) The weird noises today, but we're here for it. But yeah, so the seconds are starting to dwindle off the clock. Everybody has to crash the boards and PJ doesn't. And the guys that were down there just didn't give enough effort. It was Kawhi Leonard. It's the best player on either one of these basketball teams who actually makes the effort play. Now, Steve Clifford didn't want to get it twisted after the game. He has a problem with the defensive rebounding of this squad, but he doesn't have a problem with the team's effort.
4: And at the this point... is what's keeping us in game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, our effort has been terrific. That Nobody could watch us play. Sometimes we don't look good because we struggle to score. Nobody could question how hard these guys are playing. Or they don't know basketball. That's crazy. I mean, the effort is the strength right now. What we have to do is get more physical.
1: All right, Steve, stop talking. Wes has something to say. But My yeah, bad. I talking? thought that Fiddy was just
2: playing another soundbite. So
1: You're good. Yeah, well, talking. you know, Fiddy was putting him in there. Yeah. You know, I had no <laughs> clue when they were going to hit.
2: No, I agree with them as far as the effort and them playing because you, you know, we each predicted a Hornets win last night, and I thought that the Hornets played really well and were very... You know, feisty with a team that a lot of people thought, especially pregame, we weren't sure if Kawhi and PG were going to play. But once you do find that out, you start thinking, oh, God, you know, this is not going to be good. Uh, (laughs) I think Fitty said in our group text they were going to get boat raced. That's right. But I know this is a typical Queen City Magic game where they have a team at home that they should get drilled by, and they're going to play out of body. And they did that. They played really well down the stretch. Just not doing the little things. And the thing that kind of worries you about it is there are too many veteran players on this team the little mistakes that happen continuously. P.J. Washington, you should know better by now. You know, uh, Kelly Oubre's been in the league for a long time. He should know better by now. And that's the thing. It's like, that's why you commend some of the greater organizations in the sport because their players are aware that basketball IQs are high to where, you know, they're paying attention. They know those little things, those moments. And we talk about LeBron, and I know we knock LeBron for different things that he does, but those are the type of things that I mean, granted, he's one of the greatest players of all time, but that's the basketball IQ stuff that LeBron knows. He's going to know, okay, let me box out this guy. Let me do this. We need to make sure we're doing that. And those are some of the little things you worry about with the Hornets is when will those type of messages, when will situational basketball start to sink in? Because that is the difference between, uh, you know, you winning and losing. I, I did see some
1: people on my Twitter timeline last night angry with Steve Clifford for going small. Or going big, excuse me, while the Clippers had Marcus Morris at small ball five, because Mason Plumley was out there in clutch time situation, right? So Hornets went big, Clippers went small. And I think that's kind of what led to the confusion where Mason Plumley leaves a wide open shooter in Marcus Morris, who is playing that small ball center, center spot. My only defense of that is who else do you trust in that situation? Okay, you don't want Mason Plumley on the court. Cool. I'm kind of with you. But here are your options Kai Jones. Nick Richards, Tao Maladone, or Bryce McGowans. Yeah. If your problem is them going big when the Clippers go small, you can't go Nick Richards, so that takes him out. Maybe Kai Jones, even though in theory it's the same, but Kai Jones' athleticism is there, but the mental's not. Not, not now, his second year in the league. So then that leaves you with Bryce McGowans, who is only just within the last five games getting run. And Teo who is probably the only other answer, and then you switch everybody. You where... think he has Plumlee on the floor <laughs> for the rebounding? That's the problem that I have. It's the fact that Mason Plumlee was, was down there, right? They went big so they could reap the benefit of being bigger than everybody by grabbing the rebound, and Mason Plumlee doesn't do it. That's the problem. If you are going to stay big then you have to do the big type thing in grabbing the rebound over everybody that is shorter than you.
2: Yeah.
1: And they couldn't do it. Yeah. Part of that's blocking out. Part of that is just Mason Plumlee not being in the right spot at the right time. But that was an issue. And so if you wanted to criticize Steve Clifford for that, okay, I just don't know who else you're going to go to. Really, the only answer, in my opinion, is Teo Maladone. And then you switch everybody down to the point where P.J. Washington is playing small ball five, which, okay, I, I could see that lineup. I wouldn't hate it based off what Teo was doing. This leads to the conversation, James Borrego, Steve Clifford, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people were critical of the Charlotte Hornets organization letting go of JB after the play-in game last year. And the timing was interesting because they waited a week after the play-in game before they decided, all right, we're going to go in a different direction. JB, you're out of here. Does James Borrego make any difference with this team right now, With all of the injuries, right? Same context. Miles Bridges not with the team. LaMelo Ball plays like two and a half games. Gordon Hayward plays maybe 10. All of the injuries are still here. Everything is the exact same, except James Borrego is your head coach. Is there anything different with him on the sideline?
2: I'm not sure that anybody could make chicken salad out of this lineup, but I'm not calling it chicken bleep, but I'm just saying it would be hard for anybody (laughs) to win uh, big with, with with this lineup. It's just my thing is that you know defense and and again he has such a caveat with the injuries. I just said that I felt like defense was supposed to be a specialty. Not that I expected the Hornets to be a top five unit. The defense has improved incrementally, but I thought that for what they have been lacking in offense, that defensively they would be a little bit better than where they're at because we saw in stretches where the Hornets would play good defense with J.B. And then we know offensively the Hornets, you know, were a juggernaut. They were very hard to deal with with J.B., but that was also with a full roster and Miles Bridges. So it is hard to tell what J.B. would be able to do with a lineup like this. I don't know too many coaches that could win. I don't know if Pat Riley or Phil Jackson could win with this kind of roster and the way it's been constructed, and with the injuries. You might not want
1: You might not have wanted James Borrego to be fired. I understand that. Offensively, he was a lot of fun. Now, it took a while. I mean, James Borrego would preach pace at the beginning of every single season here, just like every NBA coach does. Oh, we're going to get out and run. He gave you all the same cliches every coach does, which is fine. Yeah. But let's not mistake it for different than these other NBA coaches. It finally caught up. LaMelo Ball is a one-man transition basket himself, so he's going to help any team's pace as soon as he steps onto your court. But James Borrego had an offense working that was a lot of fun. I think James Borrego's best attribute as a coach was his ability to draw up a play. When you needed something, he relied a lot on Terry Rozier, but you know what? Terry's a great shooter. So let's go ahead and use that benefit that you have on the roster with his catch-and-shoot ability. He, He was awesome at drawing up plays. James Rago isn't doing anything much different with this roster as currently constructed, man. Like, this team is so shot. Steve Clifford didn't even realize that he was going to get this roster. He told you. We've talked about it quite a bit. Said he did not want to be a part of a rebuild. He talked about how much playoff success matters to him because he hasn't experienced it yet. He got to a playoff appearance twice, maybe three times, Yeah, you know, three times. Once with Orlando, his most recent time, when he actually stole a game against the champion Raptors in game one of the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs and then would get swept by Kawhi and everybody. And we can all remember the 2016 playoff appearance against Purple Shirt Guy where the Hornets drop the seven-game series to the Miami Heat. He's never experienced playoff success, and that's what he wants. But you're not going to get it here. Nope. Not right now. And I don't know if you're ever going to get it because I don't know if the Hornets are going to bring back Miles Bridges. I don't know if another team is going to decide to sign him despite the felony domestic violence charge. I don't know if they're going to trade Terry Rozier or Gordon Hayward. That's certainly a possibility still. And if they don't, then you still have a lot of money on your payroll. You're paying guys that aren't second or tertiary stars. So you still have LaMelo. It's going to be tough, Wes. This is the problem. When we talk about what this team can accomplish now, I think that's why I look at this and say, hey, there's no head coach doing something different with the rosters currently constructed.
2: No, not at all. And we talked about it this offseason went about as bad as it could. The season has been hit after hit after hit for the Hornets. And the thing is, you know, you hate to start talking about it already, but especially for Clifford's sake, if you really like him and really want him to stay, what are you going to do to be able to entice him? Because this team has the looks – of a rebuild. And we're going to see as the all-star break approaches, are they going to trade Rose there? Are they going to trade Hayward? Because if they do that, we're really in a rebuilding stage here as far as, now we don't know what pieces we'll get back, but we don't think it's going to be pieces that are going to make you a contender. So I wonder sometimes, you know, does Coach Cliff, dare I say, regret, you know, his decision? Because it seems like ever since he made it, everything has gone kind of not his way as far as him catching a break. And so, I don't think, I would dare to say, I don't know that we'll get to see this team at full strength as the season goes along. I mean, what are the chances we're going to see Rozier, Hayward, Mello, everybody, it Dennis Smith back? You know, when are we going to see everybody this season? Yes. This just stinks.
1: 704-570-9610. <laughs> you can text us through the Garage Door Guru text line what you think about this Hornets team. Let's go to a Fiddy Flash before we welcome Andrea Adelson to the program. What you got, Fiddy?
3: Some news coming out of the NFL. Uh, Lamar Jackson has a PCL sprain, and according to a tweet released by uh, Adam Schefter, the, the sideline or this often sidelines players for one to three weeks, and Ravens head coach John Harbaugh has already said that it is less likely that Jackson will play this Sunday Against the Steelers and Cowboys, owner and general manager Jerry Jones told 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, "There is no timetable for a decision on Odell Beckham Jr. He was in Dallas last night, even pulled up to the Mavs games with some Cowboy players, including Micah Parsons. So th- there's some NFL news on a Tuesday. Um, yeah, I'll ask you guys this question really quickly." Depending on the severity of the injury to Baker Mayfield or or to Lamar Jackson, does Baker Mayfield become an option for the Ravens to at least back up Tyler Huntley in the interim?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe to back up Tyler Huntley. It's definitely not to start, but also we're seeing rumors that the Rams are becoming the favorite now. Kyle Shanahan said, it would be a surprise to me if we decided to pick up Baker Mayfield. They just signed Josh Johnson again, but the Rams are slowly becoming that team that is the favorite to uh, sign baker mayfield off of waivers and so that's what i that's where i expect him to go um hate to see lamar jackson though hurt because i don't want to see him miss any games
2: yeah you hate to see it i don't know why they would bring in baker mayfield he doesn't fit into what they do at all um
1: but can you imagine baker with that receiving core right (laughs) i mean if if that's the problem i mean yeah baker's not going to be helping that correct so
2: yeah i'm not yeah I'm not feeling it
1: either. All right, let's go to Andrea Adelson, talk more college football and ask her about Dabo Sweeney's decision to stick with DJU so long and not go to Kate Klubnick until the ACC championship game. It's Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. walker sports radio 927, wfnz walker mail west bryant josh fitty Marlowe here on sports radio we'll now welcome in andrea adelson of espn.com an acc writer to the body works plus guest hotline you can follow her on twitter at a adelson espn andrea thank you so much for the time how are you
0: I'm great. How are you guys?
1: Yeah, We're doing well, Andrea. Andrea, really appreciate you joining us. And I did have this question about the ACC championship following the chaos that did take place in all of college football. I did not expect North Carolina to get beat down like that against the Clemson Tigers, but it really happened after Dabo Sweeney made that decision to go to Cade Klubnick as the starting QB the rest of the way. Are you one that asks the question why Dabo did not go to Cade Clubnick sooner? Or do you kind of understand the timing of how the quarterback decision eventually played out?
0: Uh, I believe it was after the first touchdown drive that Cade Clubnick led that I tweeted, wait, why did he not play <laughs> him last week against South Carolina? So yeah, I definitely questioned that along with a lot of other folks because it wasn't just what he was doing with the offense it was the way the entire team seemed to be lifted. The energy seemed to be a whole lot greater, even the way that defense played, right? Because North Carolina marched down the field, it looked like it was going to be easy for Drake May, and then suddenly they make a change of quarterback, and now the defense starts to play a lot better. So to me, it just felt like it gave the entire team a lift. And we saw that already previously this year against Syracuse, right? I mean, Kate Klubnick goes into that game. DJ had three turnovers. They're down. And then everybody, their game is raised, and the defense doesn't allow another point from Syracuse, and Kate Klubnick makes the plays that are needed to be able to win the game. So um yes, I question it. I know Dabba was asked after the game whether he had any regrets about not putting Kate Klubnick against South Carolina. He says no, but uh I, I feel like if he was really like searching deep down inside maybe that
1: would be a different answer. Well, and look, not to just continue to criticize DJU and his play this season, because he did have quite a few good games. His ground game early on was excellent. But there are some Clemson Tigers fans that are criticizing this decision to the point where they believe they might have made the college football playoff had Dabo Sweeney made the decision to go to Cade Club Nick Sooner. Is that too far that Dabo cost him a shot at the college football playoff by sticking with DJU, or is there some validity to that?
0: Well, if you believe that he should have replaced D.J. against South Carolina when he was very clearly struggling and Clemson had a lead in that game and all they needed in the fourth quarter was one drive that they were able to sustain to get a few first downs to take time off of the clock, um, then, yeah, you feel like if they had given Cade an opportunity and he's able to hold on to that lead, Clemson sitting right there in great position over Ohio State, which wasn't an ACC champion. But it's hard to really hold on to that or to dwell onto it because that's not what happened. And I do agree with with Dabo and what he said that they weren't even in the position to make it to the ACC championship without DJ because there were some games along the way this year where he played outstanding. They would have lost to Wake Forest um, if he had not played the way that he did in that game. Uh, they would have lost to Florida State if he'd not played as well as he did in that game. So there are absolutely points along the way where DJ looked like he was getting it together. You know, my question, uh, which, you know, I, 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 I would love to have an answer to at some point, maybe it doesn't even matter, is, you know, if they felt against Notre Dame that that might be the game where Cade finally kind of takes the the quarterback reins from from DJ, and that's kind of what Dabo alluded to in his post game press conference. If they felt maybe that would be the time, and they put him in a disastrous situation because they're already losing in that game, and Notre Dame's defense was playing lights out, and and they they don't complete the comeback, they can't win. Suddenly now what, you don't think he's ready until the ACC championship game? And, oh, by the way, we're still going to start DJ the first two drives and then put Cade in? And now it makes sense to me why DJ struggled in those first two drives because he knew he was being <laughs> pulled for the third series. So what do you think is going to happen when you already know I'm about to get benched and this guy's going to take my job? You think he's going to go out and play his best football? So um I just think the situation could have been handled a whole lot better from the start of the season to where it ended up. And the fact that they're not in the playoff, we could sit here and debate one way or another whether it was Dabo's fault or not. The fact is, this team won its seventh ACC championship in eight years. And those players on the field afterward, yeah, they weren't complaining about not going to a playoff. They were genuinely thrilled and excited to be ACC champions again and to be getting, getting to go to the Orange Bowl. So I think a lot of this debate about whether or not they missed a chance at the playoff is us here in the media and not really happening in the locker room.
2: Andrea West Bryant here to flip the page and talk about the North Carolina Tar Heels. Were you surprised at the run they were able to make this season? Where do you feel like they stand right now as a program? And do you think that Drake May will continue to be a part of that program going forward?
0: Well, it certainly was a surprise that they made it to the ACC championship game, right? When the expectations for them were lower than they were a year ago, and we didn't know anything about Drake May headed to the season. I mean, he was in the middle of a quarterback competition in in August, and then uh, he takes the reins and becomes the player of the year. That, that, that is completely unexpected. And one of the bigger surprises, I think, in the league uh, over the last several years is his emergence and the way that, that he played and really putting this team on his back. Because if they didn't have Drake May, um, there's no way they're in the ACC championship game. I mean, shoot, they might even finish with a losing record uh, when you consider some of his late-game heroics and how valuable he was to this team uh, and to this program. So um, there's a reason why people are wondering, oh, are there going to be teams that are have collectives that are going to be offering him some NIL deals to get him to leave Carolina? Um, I, I completely understand why there's questions about that because we've seen it across college football. Look at Jordan Addison last year getting an NIL deal to go to USC, and, and that's the fear in the ACC is that you're going to have some programs that have more money, be able to poach out the best players. Now, I think Drake and his family ties to North Carolina set him apart. And also the fact that he's probably going to be either the number one overall pick in 24 or a top 10 pick in 24 means, okay, well, if he gets offered some NIL deal now, um, that's not going to be nothing compared to what he is going to get once he gets drafted into the NFL. So Based on his comments, based on Mac's comments, I expect him to stay. And I'm not surprised this team has as many players in the portal as they do right now because I think it was time for there to be an overhaul, particularly on defense with the, the way this unit performed. Um, so uh, I still think this team is in good position with, with Drake May moving forward. There's still some questions that have to be answered, particularly on defense.
2: Okay, and then outside of Drake May's emergence this season, what would you say is your biggest surprise and your biggest disappointment in ACC football this year?
0: Well, I would say there's a tie uh, for biggest surprise. Duke obviously doing what they did, going from winless uh, in the ACC uh, to 5-3 and three in ACC play and 8-4 and, and and Mike Elko being coach of the year. That is so well-deserved for a program that – not only couldn't stop anybody a year ago, but also couldn't hold on to the football a year ago. And they completely flipped the script with Riley Leonard, who had an outstanding season for Duke. And then I would say the other biggest surprise is what Mike Norvell did at Florida State, um, turning around a, a program that um, didn't really seem to have um, its bearings, so to speak. And a lot of questions about Mike Norvell and whether he was the right man for to lead this team to lead this program people wondering whether he was on the hot seat um going into this season so the fact that they were able to win nine games beat two sec teams and they're in position to win 10 i think is a very big tribute to mike norvell and the job that he has done there turning around florida state and the disappointment would have to be miami right i mean there was so much expectation so much excitement around mario cristobal taking over his hometown team, they lose to Duke, they lose to Middle Tennessee, uh, they finished 5-7 and seven when they were the preseason choice to win the Coastal Division. Um, it wasn't a great first year, but those folks down there firmly believe that they'll get things turned around and turned around quickly. So I expect them to be very active in the portal right now, both with uh, losing some players but also trying to get a bunch of players to be able to be difference makers for them moving forward.
1: Andrea Adelson of ESPN.com joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Andrea, one of the final things before we get you out of here, what was the most consequential uh, transfer decision you've seen so far? Devin Leary leaving, Jordan Travis, actually, he's returning to Florida State. Is it one of those two quarterbacks with their decision that they made, or is it somebody else that comes to mind?
0: Well, I think Florida State getting Jordan Travis for another year is huge. Um, I don't think people realize he actually had one more year of eligibility because it feels (laughs) like he's been at Florida State for a long time. Uh, And so I think there's going to be a lot of people looking at Florida State without divisions next year as a team that may be picked to make it into the uh, ACC championship game. I wasn't as surprised about Devin Leary, quite honestly, because I think going into the year, everybody expected this to be his final year at nc state right that he was going to have a great year he was going to go to the nfl draft and things didn't quite work out that way because of the injury and so i understand why you know he's headed into the portal to try to get a fresh start obviously a new offensive coordinator that's going to be coming into nc state nc state looks like they've got a couple of quarterbacks who can you know pick up the reins um with Devin leary uh moving on so Quite honestly, um, none, of the, none of the names that have entered the portal from the ACC have been surprising or shocking to me. Um, I would say the decision of Jordan Travis to come back may end up paying the greatest dividends for uh, Florida State headed into next year.
1: That's Andrea Adelson of ESPN.com joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, talking some ACC championship as well as some of the transfer decisions made in the ACC. Follow her on Twitter at A Adelson ESPN. Andrea, thank you so much for the time. Thank we you, really Andrea. appreciate it.
0: Of course. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. One of the best in the business, college football writer, David Hale too. ESPN has a couple of great ones for this area, writing about the ACC, David Hale and Andrew Adelson, just joining us there. We'll put that up on the website later. For you to be able to find. We'll also tweet it out on our Twitter handle, Wesson Walker. How do you spell it though? I always forget.
2: W E S A N D W A L K E R. Follow right. us if you uh we'll get to a thousand followers and we'll send you two million dollars via Cash App. More more from Wesson Walker on sports radio
1: <laughs> 92.7 seven W F N Z coming up next.